With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Happy Fourth of July to one and all. Hope that you are spending this holiday with some great friends, a wonderful barbecue, and some tremendous baseball coverage, as I am very glad to be joining you right here from the Izuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. And I'm glad we've got on a great guest today, too, as Josh Applebaum of the Action Network. Going to be breaking down what we've all seen in baseball so far this year, a lot of the trends with regards to favorites, totals, everything like that, how you can make some money there. That is going to be tremendous. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, we got to go to the Twitter mailbag. I'm not going to play the sound or anything like that because... I really only had one question, and it was from a bunch of people just asking the same sort of question. We all saw the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox wound up playing a doubleheader on Wednesday, and a lot of people are asking me how I keep my bets straight and everything like that. I always say Las Vegas rotation numbers, and I was going through this on the podcast yesterday. It's so confusing because the first game of the doubleheader was actually lower on the Las Vegas rotation order than the... Second game, it was 981-982. I believe the other one was 969-970, but it was one of those things where it's really weird, and I actually found out, and I did not know this, that there are some books in New Jersey and Pennsylvania that do not use Las Vegas rotation numbers 
For that, I say I'm sorry. This is why whenever I'm on Twitter, I always list the pitcher that I'm going to be going with along with the rotation number. So it is one of those things where that is the best way that I keep track of things, but I am glad that you guys submitted that because, like I said, legitimately did not know that some of those East Coast states out here in the United States do not necessarily do things with rotation numbers. Typically, you see them all over Las Vegas. You see them on offshore books as well. So it is one of those things that now I know and I can better serve you guys for it. And hopefully I did a very good job of keeping that straight when I did my preview yesterday. So I do appreciate that. And that is how I keep everything in line of doubleheaders because let's face it, they can be messy. Something else that can be messy, trying to keep track of all these trends out there in Major League Baseball. We had a wild day in the Major Leagues on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Let's try to find some trends. Len, let's try to become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. And I was just talking about this a second ago as the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox did play a doubleheader. The first game went to the Chicago White Sox by a count of 7-5. to five. In this one for the Detroit Tigers, you did get a home run out of Jaimir Candelario. That came off of Dylan Sisu. In his first career start, highly touted prospect out of AAA, Nothing great, nothing awful. Five innings pitch. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Calvin Herrera, the one guy that I can legitimately say is awful out there in the White Sox bullpen, winds up giving up two runs later on in the game as well. But you did have Alex Colome being able to close out the game. And for the Chicago White Sox, they didn't have any home runs in this one. They just played a whole lot of small ball, getting 12 hits. For the Detroit Tigers, Daniel Norris continues to be Daniel Norris, a guy that you cannot trust. Five innings pitch, he gives up six runs, all of which were earned. Buck Farmer gave up a run out of the bullpen as well. Got to give Blaine Hardy a little bit of credit. He was able to get some outs, but all in all, things did not go the way of the Detroit Tigers in game one of that doubleheader. And game two of the doubleheader also did not go the way of the Detroit Tigers as the Chicago White Sox get a walk-off 9-6 win in 12 innings. The hero in this one won a Jose Abreu. And for those of us that had the run line, his home run in the 12th inning was a savior, and it looked like the Detroit Tigers were going to win it in the 10th inning. You had Jordan X being able to get a RBI single for the 10th for the Detroit Tigers in the 10th, but then Yohan Moncada winds up going deep for what is his 16th home run of the year in the 10th inning to extend it. He had his 15th home run of the year earlier in the game, and Jose Abreu's walk-off home run, by the way, is 20th. And then you also had Ryan Cordell go deep twice for his fourth and fifth home runs of the year as it was home run derby for the Chicago White Sox. In this one, it was the first career start for the Detroit Tigers of Tyler Anderson, and it actually didn't go bad. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were solo home runs. From there, Victor Alcantara gives up a home run out of the bullpen. He gets four outs, he gives up two runs. You add Daniel Stumpf wind up going for just one out. He winds up giving up a run, and then the bullpen just failed him from there. Shane Green, who had been such a trustworthy closer for this team, 1-1-3 ERA. He gives up one of those home runs. I believe he gave up the Moncada home run, and then Nick Ramirez in the 12th inning gives up that three-run home run to Jose Abreu. But if you're looking for a good sign for the Detroit Tigers, Nick Castellanos getting his ninth home run of the year off of Ross Detweiler, who had a pretty good start for the Chicago White Sox when you exclude the amount of errors. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, but only two of which were earned as a Johan Mancata error really hurt him. And then from there, the Chicago White Sox bullpen continues to be pretty good. Six innings pitch, they give up a total of two runs. Juan Menea wound up giving up a run out of the bullpen, and Carson Fulmer did as well, but the White Sox sweep that series, and they wind up winning both games on the run line. The Washington Nationals continue to heat up a little bit. They take down the Miami Marlins by kind of 3-1. to one. 
For the Washington Nationals, a stellar start from Steven Strasburg. Seven and third innings, gives up just two hits, 14 strikeouts, nothing more he can do. From there, Fernando, no, Rodney provides two outs, but then Sean Doolittle wound up getting the bases loaded in the ninth inning. He winds up giving up a run, but he evades danger. Part of the reason why he was able to have that cushion is because Brian Dozier and Matt Adams earlier in the game hit their 13th home run of the year for the Miami Marlins. A solid start from Sandy Alcantara, five and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned, giving up one of those home runs. And then you had Wei-On Chen giving up a home run in an inning of relief out of the bullpen. That was the sole home run, but for the Miami Marlins, they just weren't able to do a good job of being able to supply some hard contact. They wound up going two of six with men in scoring position, but they left eight on base. So that was their real bugaboo. The real bugaboo for the New York Mets on Thursday... On Wednesday was the fact that they just could not score runs as the New York Yankees take this one by a count of five to one. Domingo Herman in his first start off the injured list. Pretty stinking good. Six innings pitch. Gives up just one run. That one run was a solo home run as going deep for the Mets was Jeff McNeil, his seventh home run of the year. He has been a rock. That was in the first inning, but then from there, nothing else got going. Chad Green provides two innings of relief, and Nestor Cortez Jr., another inning as for the New York Yankees. D.D. Gregorius goes yards for his fourth home run of the year, and Gio Urshela, his seventh, as Jason Vargas is still a pretty solid starter for the team. Five and a third innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then Wilmer Fon out of the bullpen gives up two runs. Got to give it to the Mets for being able to bridge things. Jurisic Familia, which is Spanish for blown save, winds up going an inning without giving up a run, and then you had Steven Matz provide an out in relief. I'm not sure what that is all about, but that's what happened there. And what happened in Pittsburgh is the fact that the Pirates took down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 6-5. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, a little bit of an up-and-down game as they wind up giving up three home runs. Javi Baez gets his 22nd home run of the year, and Victor Carantini, his third and fourth thingers of the year. Two of those home runs came off of Curtis Archer, who is not very trustworthy himself. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, including two of those home runs. Francisco Lariano gave up one of those home runs to Victor Carantini as well, but Michael Felice, Richard Rodriguez, and Videas Neva Caracas wind up all providing three and a third innings combined of relief and not giving up a run. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Josh Bell continues to be Josh Bell. His 26th home run of the year. That wound up coming off of you, Darvish. And Melky Cabrera went yard off of Mr. Darvish as well as the Pittsburgh Pirates were down 5-4 to four going into the ninth inning. And then they were able to pull it out from there. And for you, Darvish... Not necessarily his worst start, six and two-thirds innings. He did give up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs, but he did provide some length. But it was Craig Kimbrell who gave up those runs in the ninth inning. He clearly has some runs, as he currently has a 16-80-80 ERA. Got to think that things are going to get better for him. Got to think things are going to get better for Chris Sale as well, as the Boston Red Sox are now 6-12 and 12 in his starts this year, and the Toronto Blue Jays take down the Boston Red Sox by a count of 6-3. The Blue Jays, by the way, have now scored... Five or more runs in 12 out of their last 13 games. And they wound up getting some pretty good pitching in this one. David Phelps winds up providing an inning as the opener. And then Jacob Wajapak, hopefully I said that one correctly. That's a mouthful. Five innings pitch. Gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then from there, you had the bullpen of the Toronto Blue Jays provide three innings of scoreless relief. He did get a home run for the Boston Red Sox. That was off the bat of Christian Vasquez, his 13th home run of the year. But Chris Sale... Did not look good in this one. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including not one, not two, but three home runs. And then out of the bullpen, providing four outs and giving up a run with Stephen Wright. And going yard for the Toronto Blue Jays. How about Brandon Drury, his seventh home run of the year. Danny Jansen, his sixth. And Lords Goriel, his 15th, all of which have come off the 
all of which have come since he's been off the injured list, so the Toronto Blue Jays continue to be white hot. The Baltimore Orioles certainly are not white hot, but they wound up getting a win over the Tampa Bay Rays by kind of 9-6. This was a game that was overwhelming late. 3-3 was the score going into the ninth inning. The Baltimore Orioles hang a touchdown but miss the extra point in the ninth inning, and then the Rays respond with a field goal themselves for the Baltimore Orioles. In that ninth inning, Renato Nunez winds up going deep off of Jose Alvarado, his 19th home run of the year, and then you also had Rio Ruiz get a home run earlier in the game. That was his fifth of the campaign, as Jonathan Means continues to do a very good job for the Baltimore Orioles. More di- He went longer in this start than normal. Seven innings pitch, gives up three runs, but only two of which were earned, including a home run. You also... Did have Richard Blyer giving up three runs out there in the bullpen as well. That is just typical operating procedure for the Baltimore Orioles bullpen. But you take a look at what happened with the Tampa Bay Rays. It's pretty stunning as Ryan Stanek provides a good open for this team. Adam Pruitt then goes five innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. But Mr. Alvarado now has a 4.85 ERA, giving up six runs, five of which were earned in that ninth inning. The lone bright spot was the fact that Michael Broseu, a up-and-coming infield prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays, winds up hitting his first home run of the year. Not too many bright spots for the Milwaukee Brewers in Cincinnati on Thursday, though, as they get shut out, losing to the Reds by a count of 3-0 to zero for the Cincinnati Reds. Yasiel Puig wound up going deep off of Yuli Chassin for his 19th home run of the year, and legitimately, that's all the offense they needed because Sonny Gray in this one was lights out. Eight innings pitch, four hits, no earned runs, 12 punch-outs, Rossiel Iglesias gets a save from there. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they did get some decent pitching. Ulysse Chassin goes six innings pitch. He gives up two runs. This is a man that had been badly struggling this year, so that was good. Jeremy Jeffries provides an inning of relief, and then Aaron Wilkerson gives up a run and an inning out of the bullpen. But just four total hits for this team. They were without... Christian Yelich in the starting lineup, and it clearly showed. So that was a big dead giveaway to fade the Milwaukee Brewers. Although, going into this game, the Brewers had been above 500 without Christian Yelich, but I feel like that was more of an admiration than anything else. The Atlanta Braves are trying to prove that their hot June was on an admiration as they destroyed the Philadelphia Phillies by kind of 9-2. Bryce Wilson, after not having a good start against the Chicago Cubs a few days ago, winds up pitching six strong in this one. He gives up two runs, including a home run. And then from there, you had Sean Newcomb and Jacob Webb being able to provide a combined three innings of relief as the Philadelphia Phillies did get a home run out of Bryce Harper in 16th of the year. But Nick Bavetta, man, this was a rough start for him. Five and two-thirds innings pitch. Gives up six runs, five of which were earned, and the Atlanta Braves were just playing home run derby no matter who was on the mound. Austin Riley goes deep off of Babetta for his 15th home run of the year. You also had Josh Donaldson taking him deep for his 16th home run of the year. And then going deep off of Juan Niasco, Matt Joyce, his third home run of the year as Juan Niasco winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned while just recording one out. So needless to say, the swoon of the Philadelphia Phillies, who was one of the coldest teams out there in regards to offense in the month of June, continues. The hot play of the LA Angels continues as they emotionally took the field once again on Thursday and they get a 6-2 win over the Texas Rangers. A little bit of a flip of starters for the LA Angels. It was expected to be Griffin Canning. It wound up being Jaime Badia and he delivered a good start. Five innings pitch. He gives up two runs, all of which were earned, including his whole home run. But then from there, how about the bullpen of this team? Ty Buttery, 
Cam Bedrosian, Hansel Robles, Justin Anderson, all provide an inning apiece. All do not give up a single hit for the Texas Rangers. Their lone bright spot was the fact that Tim Fedorowicz hits his third home run of the year, and Ariel Gerardo just got completely imploded upon. Six innings pitch, he gives up all six runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. You did have some good bullpen pitching for the Texas Rangers, which continues to be improved. Phillips Valdez goes two and two-thirds innings without giving up a run, and then you also had Chris Martin getting it out as well, and the Texas Rangers have legitimately been a very good team to the under. Other than the game that they played on Tuesday, I believe that they have now played in their nine games, eight unders, and that one was a push. So aside from last Tuesday, this has very much been an under team. Things have not been going under too much out there in Coors Field, but we saw that happen on Wednesday as the Houston Astros take down the Colorado Rockies by a count of 42. Wade Miley made the climb to elevation and he rose to the occasion. Six innings pitch. He gives up just one run. You did have Chris Davinsky giving up a run out of the bullpen, but all in all, the Houston Astros had four relievers combined for three innings, giving up just one run. Out there in Coors Field, that's a Herculean feat. And it was a Herculean feat for Alex Bregman and Yuri Gurriel to both go yard. Gurriel is 11th home run of the year and Alex Bregman is 23rd as Peter Lambert takes the loss in this one. For Peter Lambert, he winds up going five innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. 6-6-7 six, six, is his ERA. Clearly, regression has set in, but you got to give the Rockies some credit out there in the bullpen. You did have Chad Bettis going two strong innings. He did not give up a run. Wade Davis wound up not giving up a run in his inning, and same to Jario Diaz. As for the Colorado Rockies, just seven hits in this one, two of nine with men in scoring position. So a tip of that to the Houston Astros, who have won the better bullpen ERAs out there in baseball. The best bullpen ERA out in baseball belongs to the Cleveland Indians that they were dominant against the Kansas City Royals, winning by a count of 4-0. Carlos Santana gets his 19th home run of the year and Roberto Perez is 15th and that's all that was needed for Mike Clevenger. A man that had given up 7 runs while recording just 5 outs in his last start against the Baltimore Orioles, goes 6 strong innings, does not give up a single run. From there, Nick Goody and Brad Hand provide 3 innings of relief, not giving up a run. And for the Kansas City Royals, Danny Duffy wasn't necessarily awful in this one. Six and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, including one of those home runs. And then from there, you did have Kevin McCarthy wind up giving up one of those home runs. In one inning, he gives up two runs. But then you did have Willie Peralta being able to give an inning strong for the Kansas City Royals. They just didn't have too many opportunities. Five hits total. Can't do a lot with that. The San Francisco Giants have been doing a whole lot, though, as they have now scored six or more runs in five out of their last six games, and they take down the San Diego Padres by a count of seven to five. For the San Francisco Giants, the power of Evan Longoria has come back. He now has three home runs in his last two days. He goes deep for his 11th of the year off of Chad Quantrill, also going deep off of Quantrill. Austin Dickerson, his third home run of the year. As for Mr. Quantrill, things did not go as planned. Four in the third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. But even worse was Luis Perdomo. He recorded five outs, and he gave up four runs in the process. A tip of that to Craig Salmon. Trey Wingenter and Robbie Erland for all providing an ending of relief. And for the San Diego Padres, they did have a little bit of power in this one. Hunter Renfro goes deep for his 25th home run of the year. That was off of Tony Watson, who's been a good reliever for the San Francisco Giants. And Fernando Tatis Jr. gets his 12th of the campaign. That came off of Sean Anderson, who delivered a 
Not so long starting this one. Four nine switch. He gave up four runs, all of which were earned, but you got to give it to the Giants bullpen. Other than the home run that Tony Watson gave up, a combined five innings, giving up just one run, and that was the home run. Will Smith, Sam Dyson, Reyes Moranta, and Trevor Gott all provided an inning of relief without giving up a run. And the Giants legitimately do have one of the best bullpens out there in the big league, so it certainly performed there. The bullpen of the Seattle Mariners has been one of the worst out there in the big leagues, and it certainly performed as such as the St. Louis Cardinals who were down 2-0 to zero going into the ninth inning. Win by a count of 5-2 to two thanks to a 5-spot in the ninth inning. Mike Leak was tremendous in this one. 7 and 2 thirds innings. He gives up 5 runs, no earned runs. And then from there, it was Rayona Ellis and Austin Adams giving up a combined 5 runs while recording just 4 outs. For Austin Adams, he is a man that takes a loss. He gives up three runs. And for the Seattle Mariners, the lone home run of the game for them came off the bat of Dylan Moore, his fourth of the year. Dylan Moore, a man that is struggling with a 202 batting average. But Adam Wainwright looked very good in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs, including that home run. But the bullpen of the St. Louis Cardinals certainly did its job. Carlos Martinez, Adam Miller, Taylor Webb, and John Bariba all combined to provide four innings of relief, giving up one hit and no earned runs in the process. And the big hit of this game wound up being a three-run home run from Tommy Edmond. That is his third home run of the year, and that was the difference in the game as the Seattle Mariners just had a woeful ninth inning. Speaking of teams that have had woeful ninth innings so far this year, the Arizona Diamondbacks, as they entered into the ninth inning, up by a count of 4-3, to three, they wind up giving up a run in the ninth, and then they lose the game in the 10th inning as the L.A. Dodgers win by a count of 5-4. to four. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they had Carson Kelly go deep for his 10th home run of the year and Christian Walker is 15th, but it just feels like every game that Arizona plays in L.A., they seem to have a lead, and they seem to blow it in the ninth inning and lose by one run. I guess that means that the play is the Arizona Diamondbacks on the run line at plus one and a half. But for the L.A. Dodgers, Walker Buehler got a little bit touched up in this one, going seven innings pitch. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then Kenley Jansen gave up a home run in the ninth inning. That was Carson Kelly's dinger. Kenley Jansen certainly has not been himself so far this year. 320 ADRA, nothing great, but nothing awful. But it was Cody Bellinger who was the difference maker in this one. He had a home run off of Merrill Kelly early on in the game. And then in the 10th inning, he winds up hitting a walk-off home run. Those were his 28th and 29th home runs of the year. And for Merrill Kelly, another good start. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. He has proven to be a very trustworthy guy. Yoan Lopez, before this game, proved to be very trustworthy. He gets just one out, and then he gives up that walk-off home run to Cody Bellinger. So that's a 136 ERA, but Greg Holland, the man that walked four straight batters yesterday, once again blew it in the ninth inning. He records just one out, giving up one run. So things clearly not going well for the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen. And for the LA Dodgers, they just continue to pile up the wins at home. At Dodger Stadium so far this year, 35-9. and And the Oakland A's have been pretty impressive themselves. They wind up losing to the Minnesota Twins, though, by a count of... 4-3 in 12 innings as the Minnesota Twins, by the way, have now played a whole lot of extra inning games, and they weren't even doing it with the deep ball in this one as Jorge Polanco's eighth inning home run off of Joaquin Soria was their lone home run as for the Oakland A's. Once again, a very good start for Mike Fire. Six innings pitch. He does give up two runs, but only one of which was earned. The bullpen of the Oakland A's has been pretty stout themselves. They wind up going a grand total of five innings, giving up two runs, but 
Joaquin Soria winds up giving up that home run in the 8th, and then Blake Tryon gives up a home run in the 12th. As for the Oakland A's, they did get a home run out of Ramon Loreno early on in this game. That was his 14th of the year, but got to give it to Kyle Gibson, who winds up going six innings for the Minnesota Twins himself. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned, and then from there, the Minnesota Twins bridge together six strong innings of relief, not giving up a single run. The Minnesota Twins continue to get good bullpen pitching, and that leads me to what we've all learned from this Wednesday out there in baseball. The Minnesota Twins just continue to get great pitching out of the bullpen. So do the Chicago White Sox, who wind up sweeping the Detroit Tigers in their two-game set. The Washington Nationals seem to be getting online with regards to their bullpen, and the Miami Marlins seem to be struggling with the bats. It looks like Domingo Herman can be a guy that you could trust for the New York Yankees after he came off the injured list. The Milwaukee Brewers are in a funk offensively without Christian Yelich, but the Cincinnati Reds continue to get very good pitching. The Atlanta Braves are showing that the amount of runs that they scored in June, nearly a full run per game more than any other team out there in the big leagues, certainly was not a fluke. The Arrows of the Diamondbacks continue to lose by one run out there in Los Angeles, and the Dodgers continue to win at home. A lot of things are trending over at Coors Field, but the Houston Astros just continue to have their bats going in general as we had a rare under on Wednesday. The LA Angels are playing with a whole bunch of emotion and it looks like they're firing on all cylinders. The Baltimore Orioles have one starter that you can trust in Jonathan Means and another in Andrew Kasher. And the Tampa Bay Rays, they either win their games by two runs or they lose them outright. The Cleveland Indians continue to get very good pitching out there in the bullpen and perhaps Mike Clevenger has straightened himself out. The San Francisco Giants and the Toronto Blue Jays are now all of a sudden coming alive with bats and Chris Sale, a guy that you certainly cannot be betting your money on. The Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen continues to be bad along with the Seattle Mariners bullpen and perhaps a St. Louis Cardinals team that was second worst out there in the big leagues in regards to runs per game in the month of June just finally awoken with that ninth inning against the Seattle Mariners. So that was Wednesday. Now let's take a look at what we've seen in general in baseball so far this year. Let's try to find some great trends and let's just get some good information in general. And a man that always provides that, Josh Applebaum out there with the Action Network, going to be joining me next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Terrific to have on our next guest. He joins me about once a month. We get to take a look at all the insanity that we've seen in baseball. Both of us were just like, oh, we're going to take so many unders this year. It's not even funny. And of course, we are now in the juice ball era, so that makes us a little bit sad, but what makes me happy is that despite that, this man still finds a way to fade the public and he finds a way to cash out and cash out big. You can find him on Twitter at Josh underscore insights. He goes by the nickname Action Applebaum. It is Josh Applebaum doing tremendous work for the Action Network. And Josh, how are you today? Greg, I'm doing fantastic. Always a pleasure to jump on your pod. You're the best in the business and always love it when we can talk some high-level betting, so let's get after it. Oh, absolutely, and I think we can both agree this year has been so frustrating to bet unders. I love being able to bet a good under when it's like two to nothing and there's a total of nine. It's like, oh, that was a no-sweat winner. We haven't had too many of them so far this year. How have you been adjusting? Because I know you're a gentleman that likes to fade the public. You typically find a little bit more value in unders and overs. What has really been your approach to totals? 
Yeah, so totals, it's just been a crazy year. And I'm sure we'll get to it in a second too, but we're seeing similar trends with favorites as well. But I remember Greg, you know, kind of started the year, we talked about how I love unders anyway. You know, there's a reason why unders have been so valuable historically, so profitable. Number one, you can take advantage of public bettors who just always want to bet an over because when they want to bet a total, you know, it's just psychologically more fun to root for points, you know, root for runs, base hits, homers, chicks dig the long ball. So there's an innate bias toward overs. No one wants to sweat, you know, a low scoring two to one game and the diehards love a two to one game. But, you know, if you're a regular average Joe who's betting 10 bucks a game, you want to bet an over. So as a result, you know, the unders have historically provided a lot of value. You know, that way you can capitalize on public bias. You can place yourself on the side of the house. You can take advantage of shaded numbers and the books have their projections at nine and a half and they say two scrubs are on the mound. We might as well open it at 10 because whether it's nine and a half or 10, public's going to hammer the over anyway. So little things like that, you just have a more value to bet unders. In the last few years, we've seen a rise in unders caching as a result of a lot of changes to the way the game is being played. You know, the shift taking away a lot of base hits. Players are perfectly positioned. The emphasis on launch angle has led to a rise in homers, but also a rise in strikeouts. So less balls are in play. So as a result, I went to this year, just like you, Greg, excited to cash bigly on unders. And wouldn't you know it, it has been in the history of our database at Sports Insights, Bet Labs, and the Action Network. We go back since 2005. This is the best over year that we have ever seen. It's crazy. So I got some stats for you from 2005 to 2018. So 05 until this upcoming season, the overs cashed at a 49.2% rate. And because you're laying the juice and because, you know, standard minus 110 juice, you got to win 52.38% of the time just to break even. You actually lost over a thousand units, which is just, you know, huge. The sports books love that. This is why we bet a lot of unders. But this year, the exact opposite. So, so far this year, we're kind of just at the halfway mark. So I think Early on, you could say, oh, this is just kind of a, an aberration and it's regression to the mean. And I do believe it will regress to the mean, but I keep waiting for regression, Greg. I'm getting old and it ain't happening. So over so far this year, they're 618 and 579. So that's a 51.6% win rate. You went from 49.2% to 51.6. It might not seem like a big increase, but that's a huge increase. And just blindly betting every over, which is what the public does, and we always say don't do that because you're playing right into the hands of sports books. You know, it's scoreboard. Blindly betting every over has brought in 15.13 units. So $100 guy betting every over in every game since opening day turned that 100 into $1,500. So it's just been crazy. You know, one thing that I've been focusing on is I did find an edge that basically I've been just in Bet Labs all day, which is our database where we can use over 500 different filters and look for situations and spots historically. You know, going into this year, I was big on, you know, wind blowing out and over ump with a tight strike zone. You know, I was looking at bet signal, steam and reverse line moves on and over. I love contrarian overs. The public's on and under and the total rises. To me, that's a dead giveaway. That sharps on the over. But one thing I did find that has really helped me is looking at what the triggering number is. So basically what the number is for the total itself. So this is kind of crazy. And Greg, you're going to love this. But if you look at when the total is nine and a half or less, Technically, a high total is eight and a half or more, but I just needed a cutoff here. So when the total is nine and a half or less, the over is 50.6%. You've actually lost nine units. Not crazy. But when the total is 10 or higher, the over is 56%. It's up 20 and a half units. It's got a 10% ROI. So to me, this has kind of been a trend that I've been banking on because you can kind of still be contrarian because the public will always bet based on 
number one, the starting pitchers. If you got two aces, you got Scherzer against Kershaw. Doesn't matter what the total is. You know, public will bet the under. You get two scrubs on the mouth, an ERA of you know five and seven. They're gonna bet the over. The other thing is, public just falls in love with the number itself. So if the total is low, they say it's got to go over. If the total is high, they say it's got to go under. So I like this little edge here. Basically, the the thought process is these high totals are cashing at a much higher rate than technically a low total. So if you see a total that's, you know, and again, we, we saw a couple 13s here recently, which is just crazy, and they've cashed. So I wouldn't be afraid of, you know, it's high, it must go under, it's low, it must go over. You never want to think that way. There's so much more that goes into it. But again, if the total is 10 or higher, that's been your sweet spot. Those totals, 10 or higher, have cashed to the over 56% plus 20 units. So I just think that goes to show you, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't get too caught up in has to go over, has to go under. You can actually kind of buy low and bet these overs when the total is high, and you're actually cashing at a pretty good rate. That is something that I've actually noticed a little bit as well as Josh Applebaum joining me right here on the podcast. I always used to be a guy where it's like, oh, double-digit double digit number. Ah, oh, this has got to be an under right here. Changed my approach a little bit on Sunday. I saw that. Colorado versus the Dodgers, total of 13 and a half. I said, even though it's so high, that number is, I have to take it over. Because one thing I've noticed about the Colorado Rockies, they have the fourth best ERA on the road, worst ERA in the big leagues at home. At home, they have scored more than a full run per game, more than any other team at home so far this year. On the road, 21st in regards to runs per game. 7.05 runs per game at home. 4.45 runs per game on the road. I feel like, and you might be agreeing with me here, you have to play Coors Field differently than every other ballpark because it's being affected more by this juice ball than anywhere else that I can imagine. I totally agree with you, Greg. And uh, when we were getting ready for the show, you know, we were looking at basically breaking down games, home versus road splits. I think that's very important. You're never going to see a stadium where it's more important than in Colorado. So, Number one, the altitude, you know, the ball is going to travel much further based on the rarefied air. Another thing we've been looking at is, shout out to my colleague, Mark Galan. He's our resident meteorologist. But looking at spots where it's really hot and humid, you know, again, the juice ball. It's not like in Arizona with the humidifier. They put them in the, in the oven. You know, if you're looking at just hot games, they do benefit the over. So historically, you know, this is uh, an article that Mark wrote. If you're looking at the over when it's below 80 degrees, It's 48.9%. That kind of is right there historically where overs in general have been. But it consistently goes up and up and up the hotter it gets. So if it's 80 plus degrees, you're 50.9%. 90 plus degrees, you're 51.3%. 100 degrees or more, you're 53%. So if you can combine some of these elements here, we like using the Fantasy Labs weather rating as well. You just have ideal conditions at Coors Field. I think the sportsbooks do know this. They know that, you know, Coors Field, you know, you don't have to be a, a diehard baseball guy like me or you, Greg. I think just the perception of Coors Field, high scoring games is kind of a known thing, but I don't think it's overvalued. I think it's valued at what it should be. And, you know, based on, you know, a spot like you can kind of buy low on a high total, the wind is blowing out at Coors Field. Like tonight, you know, it's 13 miles an hour straight to dead center. And it's also a hot night and it's the number one ballpark for kind of these buy low overs, especially when they're high. I totally agree with you. And I think that goes into. You know, sports betting overall, you got to put in the work. You can take it not too seriously, have fun with it, bet a game here and there. But if you're a true grinder, you know, you got to know every stadium. You got to know the, the ins and outs of the weather patterns and 
the dimensions of the field. Obviously, we saw the, the Sox and Yankees go over to oh, God. Uh, the gland. And yeah, you know, that I that, took uh, over 16 and a <laughs> half in game two. I felt like such a schmuck. And of course, a cash. Well, hey, then uh, you ain't a schmuck, my friend. You, you cash bigly on that one. And I totally agree with you. Knowing, knowing the dimensions, knowing any little edge you can get, add it up, use it to your advantage. And I think you'll be rewarded the more time you put into it and the more of these little kind of edges or quirks you can tell per stadium. It's only going to benefit you, and Colorado is, is really the most important one. Absolutely. As we do have Josh Applebaum joining me right here on the podcast. And something else that both of us love in baseball that has been going away a little bit this year, underdogs just have not been cashing. Now, I have noticed the Miami Marlins have been an underdog in every game. They have been doing a very good job of cashing recently. I credit that to their starting pitching and the fact that the bullpen has not been completely awful recently, but... They have been an exception. We have seen a lot of favorites coming through. But one thing I've also noticed as well is that it seems like the favorites that aren't getting a lot of bets, they're the ones that are actually doing the best. I noticed that sometimes going against a steam is the exact right move. Have you been noticing a little bit of the same? I have, yeah. I think when I first started working at Sports Insights, I think betting against the public, it was a lot easier. So I started in 2011, and at that time, obviously, it was pre-PASPA, and you know, you didn't have a wealth of knowledge online where you could go to become a smarter, better. So all of these public tendencies are really, really profitable. And it's still profitable to go contrarian, but, you know, the market is getting a lot smarter. So you got to continue to roll with the punches and, and tweak the model and, and stay true to the contrarian philosophy. But one thing we found is limiting or kind of lowering the threshold. So back in the day, you know, maybe you're looking at teams that are getting less than 40% of bets, whereas now you're really eyeing teams that are getting less than 20%. Of money line bets. So basically, you want to really focus on those the most lopsided games of the day. Obviously, if you can add in stuff like, you know, divisional dogs perform better than non divisional dogs based on the familiarity, levels the playing field leads to uh, an advantage to the dog. And if you can have a high total, that's a good thing as well. So, what we're seeing this year so far is obviously favorites are doing well. You know, it's just a bizarre year where both overs and favorites are killing it. And that sucks for contrarians like myself and yourself, Greg, where you're looking at predominantly dogs and unders. But favorites from 05 to 2018 won at a 57.4%. But again, because you're laying that number, you've lost over 600 units this season. They're winning at a 59.4% clip. So they're up over 2% win rate. They're now profitable. You know, you're only up two units on the year. But, you know, if you can be profitable on favorites, Based on the number you're laying, that's actually a lot better than it looks. So I am a little bit worried in terms of, I do think, you know, unders are going to come back, but they just continue to cash. And June was actually your best month for overs. But I do see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to dogs, because we have seen a little bit of regression take place. If you looked at kind of the high water mark based on our Bet Labs data here, late May, May 27th, favorites were up 24 units. So blindly betting every favorite and they're winning at an absurd rate. And they've lost 22 units, you know, over the past month and a week here. So favorites continue to cash, but they are, you know, basically coming back down to earth a little bit here. So that is a good sign for dogs. Should be much better than they are. And we're kind of starting to see that regression that we like. So that is a good sign for contrarians who can, you know, buy low on these dog spots. But the overs are the ones that concern me, Greg. I know everything regresses in the end, but I could see this happening all year. But I am more excited and enjoying what I'm seeing out of dogs. They're finally starting to bark over the last month. I like to see that, too. I always love being able to cash those plus 200 tickets and everything like that, as Josh Applebaum is joining me right here on the podcast. And something else I've noticed in baseball is that some of these teams 
are very similar home to road, but there are other teams like the Chicago Cubs, the LA Dodgers, and the Texas Rangers, to name three extremes, that are tremendous at home and on the road. They're leaving a little something to be desired. What have you noticed with home and road splits so far this year? Because I've noticed that a lot of teams are relatively 50-50. I think the home teams are cashing a little bit more than usual, but I just find that there are a couple teams that are really just throwing off the metric for everyone else. Yeah, so overall, uh, there has been a bit of an edge to the visitors, just generally speaking. So if taking a look at visitors, they're 46.8%. You know, this does combine dogs and favorites. If you're taking a look at home teams, they're a little bit worse. So they're 53.2%. But I do agree. I think, you know, when you're breaking down a game, you really want to be aware of tendencies, you know, because oh, it's gambling. Anything can happen. Crazy stuff has happened. And sometimes it's just luck. But if you can consistently locate an edge and try to capitalize on it, I think that's really important. So based on our data we have here, looking at home teams overall, your best home teams, like you said, Greg, Texas by far. Texas at home, 28 and 15, up 16.53 units. The Dodgers, 34-9, up 10 units. The Yankees are actually third. Cubs are fourth. Surprisingly, the White Sox, you know, they're only 21 and 18, but you're almost getting, you know, good plus money out around, you know, plus six units. And then if you flip it and you look at, you know, the best road teams, typically you're going to be play better at home, but you can look for some undervalued spots. But the Minnesota Twins on the road, they're 27 and 16. You're up nine units. This one's going to blow your mind, Greg. Can you tell me the second best, second most profitable road team in Major League Baseball? Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Great guess. It's the Miami Marlins, believe it or not. This is yes, crazy. I've it, been betting the Marlins a yeah. lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, away. Then that's kind of another contrarian spot where people think the Marlins suck, and when they're on the road, they say they can't possibly win. But they're 17 and 21, losing record. But you're up 9.3 units. It just goes to show you where you know being contrarian isn't just about percentages; it's about perception. I totally agree with you, Greg. If you can look at situations where maybe you have a good road team, and maybe they're getting big plus money. And maybe they have some, you know, sharp action, reverse line movement in their favor. And they just happen to be going up against a team who maybe is considered to be a good public team, but, you know, is mediocre at home or not that great. Those are the spots you really want to capitalize on. But just goes to show you a team like the Marlins, who's terrible, has actually been pretty good undervalued on the road. So that's why you got to really dig into these home road splits, like you mentioned, Greg. I agree with you. And Josh, there is one other trend in baseball that I'm noticing is white hot right now. Out of the first 49 wins for the Tampa Bay Rays so far this year, 44 by two-plus runs. This team has been a machine on the run line. Now, obviously, that has not been the case for all teams, but can you remember a trend where a team has just been hitting at nearly a 90% clip with 90% of their wins coming from two-plus runs because I've never seen anything like this. I haven't either. I would have loved to have turned some of those money line raise bets into spread run line bets because imagine what your ROI and money one would be if you flip that. But I totally agree with you. Yeah, it just goes to show, I think, I got to dig deeper into this, but I know we've talked about this before, but you know, how often does a game land on a one-run margin? You know, psychologically, you want the comfort of knowing, hey, I just got to win the game. Just win by a run. That's all I need. I think you're almost risk averse to say, oh, I got to win by two or more for me to cash. But just goes to show you, value is value. And if you can take advantage of a trend like that, and overall, just, you know, if a team's going to win, typically, it's probably by more than two runs or more. I got to dig deeper into that. But just goes to show you, based on the price, there's just so much more value to run lines. 
and you can get a better number. Obviously, they got to win by two instead of one. Basically, the juice is worth the squeeze, especially when it comes to a team like the Rays, who are just, again, I've never heard anything like that before. They're just, I should call them the run line Rays or something, because because that's just absurd. It's better than the X-rays, which we've been throwing out there the past couple of days with them possibly going to Montreal. But certainly it's not going to make your record look sexy. But I think we would both agree in baseball betting. It is not about your record. It is all about cashing tickets in the long run and just being up more money in regards to your bankroll. It does no good to have a 60% record, but be laying 200 every night, whereas maybe your record's 45%, but if you're getting plus 150 on every one of those bets, you know what? You're going to be making a profit. Exactly. I'm right there with you, Greg. And uh, yeah, that magic number, knowing, you know, 52.38 on a minus 110 juice, the beauty of these dogs, and hopefully they continue to claw their way back here, is just like you said, you can win 45% of the time and still make a good killing here if if dogs continue to bark like they should, and you're getting these plus money payouts, and you're betting to risk not to win. That's another advantage too. So uh, I'm right there with you, Greg. And Josh, I'd like to close it up with this. Obviously, you're doing tremendous work out there for the Action Network. People can follow you at Josh underscore Insights. And I know that you've got your book out there at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all over the place. Let the good people at home know where they can get that and just know where they can get more of your work in general since you're doing a tremendous job. Thanks, Greg. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, you can find me on the Action Network, actionnetwork.com, putting out my daily sharp report, hitting on you know a handful of the sharpest games, receiving the most smart money each day. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore insights. If you're looking to get into betting, know a friend who is in a state that just got legalized and they're trying to get their foot in the door, or if you just want to brush up on some tips and strategies for each of the major sports, bankroll management, how lines are set, dig deeper into betting overall. You can find my book, The Everything Guide to Sports Betting, on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. Once again, Greg, you're the absolute best, man. Thank you for having me, and uh, and good luck tonight. And you are one of the best as well. A big thanks to Josh Applebaum of the Action Network for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And big thanks to Josh Applebaum of the Action Network for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And today, the Azunia Tequila Studios happens to be the apartment of my girlfriend, so I might be popping my peas a little bit more, but that is okay because we now go to that time of the podcast where I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays going to be... All listed on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1. Typically, with some of these plays, they're all locked in, good to go, everything like that. Other of these plays, we're in wait and see mode. In this case, we are in wait and see mode on all of them, so that will make things a whole lot easier. So, 
you know what, that should save a minute or two. And as always, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And we start with 901-902 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals play host the Miami Marlins. Eliza Hernandez goes for the Miami Marlins. Anibal Sanchez for the Washington Nationals. Your total on this game is 10. 10 has juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 on the under. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the fish, going to be getting anywhere between plus 165 and plus 170. Want to lay it with the nets. It's anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190. Actually, like what I've seen out of Liza Hernandez, was very good at the AAA level. One and two record in his four starts, has won 24 and a third innings. 4.070 ERA, has given up four long balls. That's a little bit too many, but 26 punch outs. Meanwhile, if you take a look at Anibal Sanchez and what he's done essentially ever since the end of April, he has been very impressive. Four and six record doesn't sound great, but he's got a 382 ERA. In the month of June, he had just one start in which he gave up more than two runs. I was giving up four runs in six innings against the Atlanta Braves. Pat said he was very good. And in the month of May, he gave up a grand total of three runs in a total of three starts. He also made a relief appearance. So all in all, things are going well from there. And things also going well for the Miami Marlins with regards to their bullpen as well. It has been much improved with guys like Austin Bryce and company stepping up. The Washington Nationals actually showed some improvement in the bullpen as well. So that is really leaning me towards the under. You do for the Miami Marlins have a couple guys that are hitting very well. Garrett Cooper, Harold Ramirez, Miguel Rojas, all hitting a 295 or higher. Neil Walker's back in the fold. He's been he's been struggling since coming off the injured list, but a 269 average there. You do have the famine bats with regards to the outfield. Curtis Granderson, JT Riddle, Rosel Herrera, and Austin Dean are all hitting a 220 or lower, but Cesar Puello, whenever he's been out there, has been pretty solid. Sterling Castro, laying the team down, he's got a negative war so far this year. 260 on base percentage, 230 batting average, but you also do have a little bit of production coming out of Brian Holiday and Jorge Alfaro. Brian Holiday is hitting above a 300, and Alfaro, 10 home runs, and he's been hitting right around a 260 himself. He's been in and out of the lineup. Meanwhile, with the Washington Nationals, Adam Eaton and Trey Turner both hitting a 275 at the top of the lineup. Of about 400 is Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, and you've really got to like the power numbers that Rendon is putting up as well. 19 home runs, 58 RBI for him. Matt Adams has been going deep quite a few times with just a 241 batting average, doesn't draw too many walks. Victor Robles is hitting a 242. Jan Gomes, Michael A. Taylor, Brian Dozier, all guys hitting between between a 215 and a 230 themselves. And I do think that there's a lot of value here on the Miami Marlins. Over their last 40 games, they have a winning record with the Washington Nationals. Even though their bullpen has looked a little bit better, it is still a little bit untrustworthy. So, going to be going with the plus price of the Miami Marlins and the under. Just a win team mode on both these. Try to get a little bit of better juice on both. 903-904 on the batting rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers are on the road facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Luis Castillo goes for the Cincinnati Reds. Brandon Woodruff for the Brew crew. Your total on this game is 9. The over is just a minus 120. The under is even. If you like the Brewers, going to be getting anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the Reds are anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. This is a case where I'm wondering why there's steam coming in on the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, Brandon Woodruff has been terrific. One of the best over pitchers out there in the big leagues, by the way. 10-2 record, but 379 ERA and 102 innings. He does have 120 punch outs, so he's getting right around 10 10 and a half strikeouts per nine innings, which you got to like. But this is a gentleman that has been a little bit inconsistent. I will say towards the end of June, he certainly did find his form. He gave up one run in seven and two-thirds innings in his last start, but 
You take a look at every other start before then. In his previous five starts, gave up at least three runs at every one of them. Now, he was consistently going six-plus innings, but I do have more faith in Luis Castillo, who's given up more than two earned runs in just three of his starts so far this year. 7-3 and three record, 247 ERA. He's averaging right around 10.7 strikeouts per nine innings, has given up just nine home runs. And he's backed up by a better bullpen as well. Josh Hader is great for the Milwaukee Brewers, but they have a very average bullpen ERA. Meanwhile, with the Cincinnati Reds, you've got so many more arms that you're able to trust, and you're also tr- able to trust in that man, Eugenio Suarez, who wound up getting three home runs in the first two games of this series. He's got 54 RBI. He's hitting just above 250 to go 20 dingers on the year. Derek Diedrich certainly has been struggling just one home run in the month of June and is hitting right around 220. And then you also have Jose Peraza and Tucker Barnard, who are letting the team down with regards to average, but now you have Scooter Jeanette back in the fold. Jesse Winker is hitting a 250. Joey Votto, a 273. And then you've got a couple guys that are starting to pick it up as well. Yasiel Puig, 19 home runs for him, 245. Average Jose Iglesias is hitting a 288, Kirk Casale a 250. But then for the Milwaukee Brewers, you certainly do have your good bats Mike Busakis, Ryan Braun, Eric Thames and Kested Hira, all in between a 272 and a 277. And in the case of Mike Moustakis, he has been supplying the boom. He has went deep 23 times so far this year. Yasmani Grandel at the top of the lineup. He's got nearly 20 home runs. He's hitting a 265. Lorenzo Cain hitting just a 245. And we did notice that Christian Yelich was out of the fold yesterday. He's been dealing with some injuries, but whenever he's in there, 328 average, 31 home runs, 67 RBI. Orlando RC is only hitting right around a 240, and then you've got a couple struggling bats like Jesus Aguiar and company, but I'll not I do like what I'm seeing out of the bats of the Milwaukee Brewers, but in this spot, I just have to trust in the better pitching of the Cincinnati Reds. I do think that Woodruff is going to give up a couple runs, and it's going to be Luis Castillo that's able to power this team home. So for that reason, we're going to be going with the Cincinnati Reds and the under. Just some waiting steam mode to try to see if I can maybe get a little bit of a 9.5, and, and I'm noticing a little bit of steam coming in on the Brewers as well. 905-906 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates are on their home field, taking on the Chicago Cubs. Jose Quintana goes for the Chicago Cubs. Jordan Lyles for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Buccos, plus 110 across the board. The Chicago Cubs, minus 120 across the board. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates just because with the Chicago Cubs, this is a team that's struggling on the road. 16-25 and 25 in road games. The Pittsburgh Pirates, one of the best teams of the over so far this year. And we have noticed that Jose Quintana certainly has had some of his woes. Now he had a terrific start in his last COVID against the Cincinnati Reds, but all in all for the year, five and second, five and seven record, 421 ERA. It's not like he's necessarily getting blown up in a lot of his starts, giving up eight runs in four and a third innings against the New York Mets. Obviously, was not ideal, but past that, he certainly has not been too bad. It's been mostly giving up three runs of five innings and stuff like that, but I do like what I've seen out of Jordan Lyles as well. Five and four record, 371 ERA. In 70 and a third innings, he's given up just eight home runs. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Jose Quintana giving up right around 1.15 home runs per nine innings, so obviously that's not necessarily a bad mark either, but when you take a look at what Jordan Lyles has done, a lot of his starts have been against the Milwaukee Brewers. As a matter of fact, each of the last three in those starts, he's went a combined 15 innings, and he wound up giving up 10 runs, so... That's a little bit less than ideal, but in the month of May, he wound up giving up more than three earned runs in just one start. He had a stretch in the beginning of May in which he gave up one earned run and went six-plus innings in each of his first three starts. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, he certainly do have the bats, and it's all led by Josh Bell. 306 average, 78 RBI, and 25 home runs going into Wednesday's action. He has been terrific, and 
What else has been terrific is just the overall batting average of this team. Melky Cabrera is hitting above a 300. Adam Frazier is hitting a 275 now. He's come alive. Corey Dickerson seeing his average dip to a 289, but Sterling Marte, 12 home runs, 280 average, 12 stolen bases. And then you also have Kevin Newman hitting a 322. Jacob Sellings a 326. Brian Reynolds nearly a 350. And Colin Moran has picked it up. He's hitting a 280 himself. Meanwhile, with the Chicago Cubs, you've got a lot of guys that are hitting very similarly for this team. Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Victor Carantini, and Chris Bryant are all guys that have their batting averages. Hovering right in that 280 to a 290 range, Carantini a little bit higher. Now, Kyle Schwarber certainly has not been hitting well with the average. He's hitting right around a 230 to a 235, but the 18 home runs certainly does help. And then in the case of Bias, Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras and company, all these guys have 15 plus home runs. You have seen David Bodie see a little bit of a dip in his average to a 262, but Jason Award has his average back up to a 270. Addison Russell and Albert Armora Jr., both in between a 245 and a 255, and then... The bullpen is where I do think that there is a little bit of an issue because Kyle Crick, Felipe Vasquez, and Francisco Lariano have been trustworthy for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You now have Crank Kimbrell back for the Chicago Cubs, but he's been a little bit of an issue. He gave up a couple runs in his last outing. You have Kyle Ryan and Brad Brock and company that aren't necessarily doing the job for the Chicago Cubs. So for that reason, I do think that both these gentlemen are going to be able to deliver decent starts, but I am all about the Pittsburgh Pirates and fading the Chicago Cubs on the road in this spot. So for that reason, we are going to be all aboard the Buckos, and we are going to be on the over as well with the way that the Pittsburgh Pirates have been playing. I'm a Wayne Seabone on both these trying to get a little bit of better juice, but we're going to ride them out. 907-908 on the bang rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies are on the road taking on the Atlanta Braves. Mike Soroka goes for the Atlanta Braves. Zach Eflin for the Philadelphia Phillies. Your total on this game, anywhere between 10 and 10 and a half. We'll give you the 10 first. Over on 10 is minus 120. The under is even. With the 10 and a flip it. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Phillies, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 152. If you want to lay it with the Braves, anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. Zach Eflin certainly has had his ups and his downs so far this year, but I feel like he's being a little bit too heavily faded. And with Mike Soroka, he has been absolutely terrific. Do not get me wrong, but I do feel like he's starting to come back to earth a little bit. With Soroka, 9-1 record, 2-1-3 ERA. In 84 and two-thirds innings, he's been taken deep just four times. So that's just a little bit over... home runs per nine innings, but towards the end of June, he started to give up some runs. In three starts, he wound up giving up three or more runs. He had a two-inning appearance against the Washington Nationals, which really doesn't count, but all in all, he is starting to get hit a little bit more. I do feel like the book is out on him because he's only got 67 strikeouts as well. Zach Eflin, not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy as well. 7-7 record, 3-3-4 ERA. He, too, has been a little bit all over the place, but he only gave up more than three earned runs in one of his starts in the month of June, so his recent form is good. And then he's backed up by a lineup that seems to be improving a little bit. Bryce Harper enters into Wednesday's action, hitting just below 250. He has went deep 15 times. He certainly leads the league in strikeouts, but it does help that Scott Kingray has been doing a good job of being able to set the table for this team. He is hitting above a 315. He's done a great job of getting on base. Gene Segura, seeing his average dip to a 275, but Cesar Hernandez continues to do a good job of getting on base. 283 average there. JT Riumuto and Reese Hoskins, both hitting between a 260 and a 265. And in the case of Reese Hoskins, he's provided 19 home runs. 
Jay Bruce has over 20 home runs so far this year between his time with the Phillies and the Seattle Mariners. Not necessarily an ideal batting average as he, is, he and Mikel Franco both hitting between a 235 and a 225. But then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. They certainly are doing a good job of hitting. You have seen Austin Riley see a dip in his average to a 265, but he slugged 14 home runs. Nick Markakis and Ozzy Albies both hitting between a 275 and a 280. And you got like the Dansby Swanson and Josh Donaldson have both went deep 15 times. Josh Donaldson, a 50 average, and then in the case of Dansby Swanson, that is closer to a 270, and then Freddie Freeman just does it all. Just a below a 310 average, 22 home runs, and then Ronald Acuna Jr., double-digit amount of steals, 20 home runs, 292 average. God like what you're seeing there, but I do think that there is some good value on the Philadelphia Phillies with the Atlanta Braves. The bullpen's been decent. It certainly has been showing a couple chinks in the armor with guys like Sean Newcomb and Tuki Dusan giving up some runs for the Philadelphia Phillies. Hector Neris and guys like that haven't necessarily been great, but I do think think that this is a spot where Soroka is going to be doing for a little bit of regression. I think that the Phillies do jump on them, and I think that they're going to be able to pull off this win, but I do think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. So going to be on the Phillies and the under. Just Wayne Seymour adds to the set numbers. I'll get there. 909-910 on the banking rotation. The LA Dodgers play OC San Diego Padres. Eric Flower goes for the pods. Meanwhile, Hun Jin Ryu on the bump for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is between 8 and 8.5. On the 8, the over has juice between minus 115 and minus one. 20. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 8.5, under is minus 120, over is even. If you're looking at the Dodgers, laying anywhere between minus 220 and minus 230, the plus price on the Padres, anywhere between plus 190 and plus 205. Eric Lauer has actually been a pretty good pitcher, but Hunjin Ryu, aside from his trip to Coors where he gave up seven runs, has just been absolute magic. I believe that in his previous nine starts, he had given up a grand total of seven runs before giving up seven runs there. And he currently has a 9-2 record, 183 RA, has just seven walks in 103 innings. So, needless to say, things have been going very well from there. Meanwhile, Eric Lauer, he has been pretty solid. He had a stretch out there in May in which he gave up one earned run in four straight starts, 5-7 and seven record, 422 ERA. He has limited the hard contact, 85 and a third innings. He has given up just nine home runs. So, certainly nothing too bad there. You take a look at his recent form. It's not great, but it's not awful. This is certainly a gentleman that's not getting banged around like a pinata. As in his last two starts, he's given up one run apiece. His trip to Coors did not go well, two and two-thirds innings. He gave up five runs, but everyone's struggling there. Past that, he's been pretty solid. What isn't solid, though, is the bullpen of the San Diego Padres. Other than Kirby Yates, you really don't have too many guys that you can trust in. And for the LA Dodgers, it seems like guys like Dylan Floro and Joe Kelly and company seem to be picking it up. And another man that doesn't need to pick it up, but has just been performing all year. How about that guy, Cody Bellinger? 340. Average 27 home runs, nearly 70 RBI. He has been terrific all year long. He is backed up by Alex Verdugo and Josh Turner, who are both hitting right around a 300 for this bunch. Max Muncy has 20 home runs. He's hitting at 275. You have to like that. Matt BD has his average right around a 290. Will Smith, whenever he gets at bats, has been doing a solid job. Awesome Arts, Kike Hernandez, both hitting below 220. He's a little bit of a wall, but then you have Jack Peterson. Despite a 241 average, he's got 20 home runs, and then Chris Taylor has upped his average to a 270. And then you take a look at the flip side for the San Diego Padres. It has been going very well for Femio Reyes and Hunter Renfro. Both these guys hitting nearly a 250 with a combined 49 home runs. That's the most of any duo out there in baseball. Sands, Mike Busakis, and Christian Yelich. Eric Hosmer doing a terrific job himself. 296 average. 
13 home runs, 60 RBI. We remember Manny Machado was suspended earlier in this week, but he has been white hot since that suspension, hitting right around a 280 for this team. He has now been pounding out the home runs as well with 20 of them. Will Myers hitting just a 220, but he's been able to supply some pop 12 home runs. And then you've got a couple other guys that are really laying the team down with the average. Josh Naylor, Austin Edges, Francisco Mejia, Ian Kinsler all hitting a 225 or lower, but Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a 330 at the top of the line by Greg Garcia hitting a 265 himself. This is a spot, though, that I think that Hunjin Ryu continues to be Hunjin Ryu. I think that Eric Lauer is able to deliver a decent start, but the LA Dodgers is find a way to get the job done. With the run line of the LA Dodgers currently seeing that at minus 115, we'd like to lay a little bit of less juice, but I'm certainly going to be on the under. Question is whether it's going to be under 8 or under 8.5, but we're going to be playing both. 9-11, 9-12 on the bang rotation. You've got the Kansas City Royals, and they are playing host to the Cleveland Indians. Zach Plesak goes for the Indians. Homer Bailey on the bump for the Kansas City Royals. Your total on this game is ranging between 9.5 and 10. On the 9.5, the over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 10, the under is minus 120 the over is even. If you're looking at the Kansas City Royals, the plus price here is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. If you want to lay it with the Cleveland Indians, it is going to be anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Now, I've got to give credit where credit is due. Homer Bailey has been much better recently than he was at the beginning of the year. This is a gentleman that was able to hurl some good innings against the Minnesota Twins and company, but we did see him come back to earth in his last start. Meanwhile, Zach Plesak has been a little bit all over the place himself. He was certainly not game against the Baltimore Orioles a few days ago. 3-3 three and three record, 361 ERA. His big problem is a home run ball. 41 and a third innings. He's given up nine home runs. Homer Bailey, 7-6 record, 487 ERA. Not much of a swing and miss, guys. 78 punch outs, but you take a look at the month of June. He ended it by giving up four runs in his first start and five runs in his last start of the month, but in between there, he wound up making four starts in which he gave up a grand total of four, one, four runs in between. But with the Cleveland Indians, you certainly have a better bullpen. Guys like Brad Hand, Adam Kimber, and company, they have all been doing a great job. They've got the best bullpen area out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, you are noticing that guys like Kevin McCarthy, Scott Barlow, and guys of that ilk have certainly been doing a little bit better. But with the Indians, I certainly do think that you have a little bit more of a consistent lineup because with the Kansas City Royals, you've got a couple guys who are doing a great job of getting on base. Adalberto Mondesi is back in the fold. He's got 27 stolen bases to lead the league, 270 average, 47 RBI. Whit Merrifield is hitting at 307. And then you've got Hunter Dozier and Chester Cuthbert hitting right around to 300. And Alex Gordon at 266. But Lucas Duda, Martin Maldonado, Billy Hamilton, Ryan O'Hearn, Chris Owings, Cam Gallagher, all these guys are hitting at 230 or lower. Nicky Lopez at 244 himself. And then you have Jorge Soler hitting at 238, but he's got 23 home runs. Meanwhile, with the Cleveland Indians, it is Carlos Santana that's really supplying the power. 18 home runs, 295 average. Orlando Mercado has certainly been holding up his end of the bargain as well. Hitting above a 300. Francisco Lindor, 291 average, 12 home runs, 12 stolen bases. Jose Ramirez, though, very befuddling what's happening here. Just a 217 average, and then you've got a bunch of guys hitting between a 235 and a 245. Jason Kipnis, Roberto Perez and Jake Bowers all in that category with Kipnis really starting to pick it up and Perez hitting 14 home runs. And then I do like that Taylor Naquin is hitting 270 himself. I just think that the Kansas City Royals are not going to have enough in the bullpen to be able to get by in this one. I do think that 
bad Homer Bailey shows up in this one because he certainly has been a little bit inconsistent. I do think that Zach Lisak is going to have a little bit of a bounce back start in this one. So for that reason, we're going to be riding the under and the run line of the Cleveland Indians. Currently seeing that run line on the Indians of a plus 125. Certainly would like to be able to get a little bit more, but if that's the best I can get, that's the best I can get. And I do think that both these gentlemen are going to be able to provide a decent start. We move on to 9-13, 9-14 on the bank rotation. It is the Detroit Tigers on the road against the Chicago Cubs. Rinaldo Lopez goes for the Chicago Cubs. Matthew Boyd goes for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is currently off the board because it was thought before that there was going to be a little bit of a different pitcher for either the Detroit Tigers or the Chicago White Sox because this was a game that was part of the doubleheader. They had the rain on and everything. So for that reason, this is currently off the board. Matthew Boyd, certainly the better pitcher in this spot as you take a look at Mr. Rinaldo Lopez. 4-7 and seven record, 6-12 ERA. 92 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 22 home runs and 38 walks. That is called not good. But we've also seen Lopez pitch quite well against the Detroit Tigers. And one thing I will say about Matthew Boyd, even though he's getting right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings, five and six record, 372 ERA. In the month of June, he gave up three plus runs in all five of his starts. So it looks like regression is starting to set in. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is just a team that's not hitting well in general. Going into game two of their doubleheader yesterday, Brandon Dixon was a real masher. 243 average, 11 home runs, 32 RBI. Now Miguel Cabrera is doing a nice job of getting on base, 299 average, but he's only got four home runs so far this year. I do like the fact that Nick Castellanos has been providing a solid batting average himself. He's hitting just below a 280. Then you've got a bunch of guys that just have a weird amount of batting averages right now. Hero Castro's hitting a 282, which is obviously terrific. But then you've got Gordon Beckham, Jordan Nix, Grayson Griner, Wilson at the catcher's spot, and then Jody Mercer, all hitting below a 220 for this bunch. Nico Goodrum sitting at 232. Christian Stewart right in that same realm as well. And with the Chicago White Sox, you obviously have a better batting average with the team in general. And Yohan Makata, 15 home runs to go at three, with his 306 average. Jose Abreu, 273 average. He slugged out 19 home runs. James McCann is hitting a 322. John Jay in a very limited amount of at-bats. 350. Yomer Sanchez and Eloy Jimenez are both hitting right in the realm of a 250 and Jimenez. 12 home runs so far this year. You got Ryan Cordell kicking up his average with a 235. We are noticing a couple struggling bats. Daniel Polka has just one hit so far this year. Obviously, that is not good. And then you've got Yonder Alonso and Melissa Castillo both hitting below the Mendoza line, but you, but Lourdes Garcia also hitting at 290. For that reason, I'm probably going to be leaning towards the Chicago White Sox and the over because with the Chicago White Sox, you also have a very good bullpen with guys like Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall and company and for the Detroit Tigers. I know that their bullpen has performed better recently, but it's just hard to have faith in guys like Victor Alcantara and company. 9-15, 9-16 on the banging rotation. The Minnesota Twins are on the road facing off against the Oakland A's. Tanner Anderson goes for the A's. Jose Barrios for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10. With the 10, the under has juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105 on the 9.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Twins, laying anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140, your plus price with the Oakland A's is anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. Tanner Anderson was actually supposed to start yesterday, but I'll give you the same spiel about him that I gave you yesterday. He had a 635 ERA with the Las Vegas Aviators. This is a gentleman that is in for some regression, and he has found it. ERA currently above 17, above 7, 17 and two-thirds innings. He's given up four home runs. Meanwhile, Mr. Berrios, he's given up a couple home runs himself. 112 innings pitch, 14 home runs. 
runs, but he's done a better job of not having such extreme home and road splits as he's had throughout his career. In the month of June, his really only bad start was when he gave up three runs in seven and a third innings against the Chicago White Sox, and if that's a bad start, well, then you're doing pretty darn good because in the previous four starts, he gave up a grand total of five runs going six-plus innings in every one of them. He's also backed up with a good bullpen with guys like Mark Mike Morin, Matt McGill and company. And I will say for the Oakland A's, Blake Tryon, Lou Trevino, these guys have been doing a solid job with the bullpen. And I will also say this, the Oakland A's hit right-handers much differently than lefties. Against lefties, they're a top-five team in the major leagues. Against right-handed pitchers, bottom half of the majors. But you do still have Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman both hitting between a 265 and just above a 270. And in the case of Matt Chapman, 21 home runs at 52 RBI. You also have to like the fact that Ramon Loreno and Mark Canna have combined for 25 home runs. Canna's only hitting at 240, but Ramon Loreno now at 260. Chris Davis and Matt Olson have a combined 33 home runs. Both these gentlemen hitting between a 245 and a 250. Also hitting at 250, Robbie Grossman. And then Jeff Feigley has provided a 263 average with 42 RBI. But then you've got the Minnesota Twins. You've just got a bunch of guys providing a lot of power. Hitting between 11 and 13 home runs so far this year. Jonathan Scope, Miguel Sano, Mitch Garver, and Jorge Polanco. And in the case of Polanco, a 320 average go with it. Max Kepler, 268 average, 21 home runs. This Minnesota Twins team has the fewest amount of stolen bases in the league, but now you get Byron Buxton back. He's got a double-digit amount of stolen bases. He's hitting nearly 260. Luis Arias in a limited amount of at-bats. 60 of them going into Wednesday. A 417 average. That's obviously very impressive. And then you've got CJ Crone hitting a 268 to go with 17 home runs of his own. You've just got so many bats for the Minnesota Twins. I think that they're going to take it to Daniel Anderson. And I think that they're going to hit him hard. So for that reason, going to be all aboard the Minnesota Twins run line. And I'm going to be taking this total under. With the under, I'm currently in Wayne Seymour. Would like to be able to get a good number on 10. But with the run line, Currently, I'm seeing just plus 110. I think I can get a little bit of a better number than that, so I'm in wait-and-see mode there. 917-918 on the bank rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays play host the New York Yankees. J.A. Happ goes for the Yankees. Yoni Chirinos for the Tampa Bay Rays. Your total on this game ranging between 9 and 9.5. Nine and on the 9s, the over is juiced between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 9.5s, the over is even. The under is minus 120. If you're looking at the Rays, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 103 and plus 110 if you want to lay it with the Yankees anywhere between minus 113 and minus 120. I know that we have seen J.A. Happ get hit and hit hard for the year. A 523 ERA, but a 7-4 record. In 84 and a third innings, he's given up 20 home runs. And certainly giving up 8 runs and 4 innings against the Houston Astros is not his finest moment, but in the previous three starts in the month of June, he gave up a grand total of seven runs, so I feel like there's a little bit of a redeeming quality there. And then Yoni Chirinos, in his 11th start so far this year, just one have went under. He has certainly been impressive with that regard. This is a gentleman with a ERA hovering right around three. Now, he has given up a lot of home runs, about 1.5, 1.6 home runs per nine innings, but all in all, he's done a solid job there, and I do think that the New York Yankees are going to be able to get a little bit of power going in this one, especially with DJ LeMahieu doing such a good job of setting the table. 61 RBI, 12 home runs, 341 average. You also have Gio Urshela and Cameron Maven hitting above a 300 for this bunch. Glaber Torres has come alive with the bat as well. 19 home runs. He's hitting just below a 300. Brett Gardner and Aaron Hicks have certainly been laying the team down, but then you've got Aaron Judge back in the fold. He's hitting nearly a 300. Gary Sanchez, 23 home runs, 255 average for him. Luke Voigt has provided 17 home runs. He's hitting right around a 265. And then you've got T.D. Gregorius now hitting above a 300 as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Tampa Bay Rays. You certainly have a lot of guys that 
have been doing a good job for the team. They don't necessarily have that one true masher. Their best power hitter is Brandon Lowe. 276 average, 16 home runs for him. And then you've got a bunch of guys that have right around, I would say, 11 to 13 home runs, and they're hitting right around a 280. All these guys are right in that realm. Tommy Pham, Yandy Diaz, Austin Meadows, and company are all doing sort of just that. You do have Avi Sale Garcia hitting right around a 275 to go with his 12 home runs. You do have a couple famous bats as well. Travis Arnaud, Mike Zanino, Joey Wendell, all hitting below a 210. And then you've got Guillermo Heredia hitting a 240, but G-Man Choi has done a solid job hitting right around a 265 whenever called upon, so he's been good there, but I do think the Tampa Bay Rays do have a little bit of better pitching in this spot, so for that reason, I am going to take the plus price. I do think that guys like Oliver Drake and company are going to be able to provide some good innings, and then with the New York Yankees, you obviously have a good bullpen with guys like Adam Onovino, Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, or Roldis Chapman, but I do think that Jay Happ gives up a couple runs, and that'll be the difference, so I have this total under, and the Tampa Bay Rays currently noticing steam coming in on the Yankees, so in Wayne Seymour there and would like to be able to get nine and a half instead of nine on this total. We move on to 919-920 on the bang rotation. It is the Toronto Blue Jays playing host to the Boston Red Sox. Hector Velasquez goes for the Boston Red Sox. Marcus Stroman for the Toronto Blue Jays. Your total on this game is 10 and I'm seeing the 10 and a half out there as well. On the 10 and a half, under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 10s, you're over as juice of between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Toronto Blue Jays, that is anywhere between even and plus 105. The Boston Red Sox are laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. With the Boston Red Sox, they certainly aren't going to be getting a lot of length out of Mr. Velasquez. This is a gentleman that in his starts typically goes about four innings max. You can expect him to go right around three in this spot. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been awful. He's been used mostly out of the bullpen. And then with Marcus Stroman, he has a 5-9 and nine record, but a 3.18 ERA. Now note, there is a chance he might get scratched from this game. So you do want to keep that in mind. And he's not necessarily a big swing and miss guy. He's got right around 7.5 strikeouts per nine innings, but he has done a very good job of keeping the ball in the yard. Less than one home run per nine innings. In June, he was a little bit up and down. He wound up having four starts in which he gave up at least three runs, but he has been providing good length in all but two of those starts. He went at least six innings, and one of those was five and two-thirds innings, so he certainly has been doing his job there. And we noticed with the Toronto Blue Jays, their bullpen has been doing a little bit of a better job. They have guys like Sam Gavilio and company starting to step up, and with the Boston Red Sox, I still do have a little bit of faith in guys like Marcus Wallman, Matt Barnes, and gentlemen of that ilk. Though I will say, for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that's getting a lot of production out of J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts. Both these guys hitting between a 295 and a 305, and a combined 34 home runs. Rafael Devers, he's got 14 home runs. He's been hitting a 330. Now Mookie Betts and Andrew Benatendi certainly have come back to the pack with regards to their average. Mookie Betts hitting right around a 265. Andrew Benatendi just below a 270 himself. But Christian Vasquez hitting nearly a 300. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Eduardo Nunez both have their averages above a 235. Meanwhile, you've also been getting some good work out of Michael Chavis. Chavis hitting a 265. He's been pounding out the home runs himself. So I do like what I'm seeing there. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, going into their game on Wednesday, in 12 out of their last 13 games, they had 5-plus runs. And Freddie Galvis has been doing a great job of being able to be a constant for the team. He's hitting just below 270. He has went deep. 
14 times. You've got a lot of guys that have between 14 and 15 home runs for the team. Rowdy Telez, Justin Smoke, and Randall Gritchick all fall in that neighborhood as well. But with all these guys, they're hitting between a 220 and a 235. But you also do have Lords Gurriel. He's been hitting a 317. He actually had his 15th home run of the year against the Boston Red Sox yesterday. And then Kevon Biggio and Flagero Jr. both hitting it between a 250 and a 255 themselves. They do have a couple famine bats as well. Brandon Drury and Jan- Danny Jansen are both hitting below a 210. And Teoscar Hernandez in that realm as well. You're not getting much out of Billy McKinley. So I do think that there certainly is going to be a little bit of regression with this team. I do think that this is going to be a spot where both starters deliver a good start, but I think the Red Sox just in the end have a little bit more offensive firepower, and I do think that their bullpen is going to step up. So for that reason, on the Red Sox and the under, Justin Wayne Seymour on both these numbers. As we move on to 921, 922 on the bang rotation, it is the LA Angels, and they are on the road facing off against the Texas Rangers. Lance Lynn goes for the Rangers. Griffin Canning for the Angels. It was expected to be a little bit of a different starter for the Angels. Griffin Canning was supposed to go yesterday, so that is why this game is presently off the board. With Griffin Canning, he has neither really been blown up nor been impressive so far this year. He's got an ERA just below four. He's given up right around 1.6 home runs per nine innings. And with Lance Lynn, he's got one of the better fielding independents that you're going to find out there in the big league. Set him for a record, four ERA in 108 innings. He's given up just nine home runs. And in the case of Lance Lynn, things have been going very well for him recently as... In the month of June, he had just one start in which he gave up more than three earned runs, and he went at least six innings in every one of them. You even date that back to May. Other than his first start in the month of May, he gave up three runs or fewer in every one of those. And for Griffin Canning, the 12 home runs at 61 and two-thirds innings are my main concern with him, but with the Texas Rangers, they are currently without Hunter Pence, who is on the injured list. He certainly was one of their better hitters, but now you've got Joey Gallo back in the fold. He's hitting at 281. He has been supplying the home runs with 20 of them going into Wednesday's action. You also do have a lot of guys that are hitting for average with this team as well. Sin Chu Chu has seen his average hover right around to 275 right now, but he's got 12 home runs. Willie Calhoun, Elvis Andrews, Danny Santana, all hitting above a 290. You do have a couple guys that are letting the team down as well, though, as Drupal Cabrera, Rudin Odor, Ronald Guzman, Tim Fedorowicz, and Jeff Mathis, all hitting below a 230. But then you've got Noah Mazzara. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting at 265. you got Logan Forsyth hitting right around that neighborhood as well. And for the LA Angels, they certainly have been supplying their power as well. And Tommy LaStella, Mike Trout, and Shohei Otani are all in between a 290 and a 301. In the case of Mike Trout, 22 home runs. And Tommy LaStella, 16 himself. Got like that Justin Upton is off the injured list. He's hitting right around a 260. Cole Calhoun and Albert Pools are both not necessarily hitting for average. They're both hitting between a 228 and a 235. But they've got to combine 30 home runs. Justin Bohr ever since coming off the injured list. Though his average for the year is still below the Mendoza line has been much better. And Dralton and Simmons is hitting nearly a 290 as well. You've got Daniel Fletcher hitting a 285. Brian Goodwin hitting right in the realm of a 280 as well. So you certainly do have some firepower there. But with Lance Lynn, he's been one of the better pitchers to the under recently. And he has just been in great form on the better fielding independents out there in the big leagues. And with the LA Angels, you know that they're going through a lot of emotion. But you do have some untrustworthy arms out there in the bullpen. Guys like Luis Garcia and company have been giving it up. And with the Texas Rangers, you've seen a lot of guys really step up and be able to provide some quality innings. So for that reason. My early leans are to the Texas Rangers and the under, but check back in the morning my Twitter feed at GNNRSquared1 for set plays there, and that means that we've got just one game left on the board. This is a game that is presently off the board as well. 923-924. The Seattle Mariners play host to the St. Louis Cardinals. Michael Waka goes for the Cardinals. Meanwhile, it's going to be Matt Carasetti opening for the Seattle Mariners. 
Tommy Malone in all likelihood to follow. And this game is currently off the board because the Seattle Mariners are going to be going with that opener in Garrett who wound up giving up a run in his last open. But all in all, as an opener, I believe he's given up one earned run in four. So that's actually not too bad for the Seattle Mariners team, especially considering in five of their first seven opens, they had the opener give up at least a double-digit amount of runs. So that was not good. And Michael Waka. He has been all over the place so far this year. 73 innings pitch. He's given up 16 home runs. That's just below two home runs per nine innings. And Michael Waka, he, in the month of June, had his ups and he had his downs. In the month of June, because he spent a little bit of time as a reliever and a little bit of time as a starter in his four starts. He gave up zero runs, one run, two run, and five runs. And then in the month of May, he wound up having... Four appearances in which he gave up at least four runs as well. So, really hard to predict him, and he's giving up right around four and a half walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, Tommy Malone, this is a gentleman with an ERA that is just above three. He's done a good job of being able to keep the ball in the ballpark right around one home run per nine innings. And with the Seattle Mariners, even though they have sold off a couple pieces, you do have Domingo Santana. He is hitting 280, 19 home runs, 63 RBI. The Seattle Mariners, best team to the over in all of baseball so far this year. We've seen that drive up a little bit, but they still do have some great bats like J.P. Crawford who's hitting a 300. Daniel Vogelback, 242 is his average, but he's got 20 home runs. Omar Navarez and Thomas Murphy both hitting above a 268 at the catcher spot, and they have a combined 20 home runs. You do have some guys that are doing a very bad job with their batting average. Dylan Moore, Kyle Seager, Malik Smith, Mac Williamson, all these guys hitting a 230 or lower, but then you have D. Gordon, 270 average, 15 stolen bases. On the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals, this was the second worst offense out there in the big leagues in the month of June. They certainly have not been getting things going with regards to that, but Jose Martinez has been a gentleman that has been able to provide a 282 average. You are noticing that Yurio Munoz is getting some starts as well. He's hitting a 316, which has been helpful. What hasn't been helpful is Paul Goldschmidt hitting a 247 and Dexter Fowler a 244. Paul Goldschmidt does have 14 home runs, and Paul DeYoung, 260 average to go with 13 home runs, but you expect a little bit more there. They currently are without Marcelo Zuno, who has 20 home runs so far this year. That has been a little bit of an issue. Yadier Molina is hitting a 260 and doesn't draw a lot of walks. Colton Wong has seen his average up to a 240. Matt Carpenter is currently out of the fold, and even when he was in the fold, he wasn't doing a lot. And Harrison Bader hitting right around the Mendoza line. Couple that with Jordan Nix currently being on the injured list, and guys like Andrew Miller and Giovanni Gallegos not being the best. And you've got a perfect recipe for a Seattle Mariners win in this spot. I do think that Tommy Malone's going to be able to provide a quality start with the Seattle Mariners. They're bullpen with guys like Batista, Rayona Ellis, and company has not necessarily been the most trustworthy out there in the world, but it certainly has been a little bit better. So for that reason, early leans are to the Seattle Mariners. If you're seeing a total of 9.5 or lower, I'm going to be taking it over. If you see something more harebrained, might be looking at the under. But as always, check back out in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare1 for set plays, which is also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. A big thanks to our man, Josh Applebaum, out there with the Action Network for joining me in the second segment. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.